Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. Life always finds a way. It does. (laughs) Sorry, <coughs> life finds a way. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yeah, let's get Jurassic with it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Not this, Jiggy. No. <laughs> you're always referencing Jiggy. You just well, you're, want... you're talking about getting Jay with something. Right, right, right. I, I get know. you. 1993? Yeah, 93. Oh, my God. This Steven was a Spielberg. hugely formulative movie, right? Yeah. I mean, I saw it when I was like five or six years old. Yeah. Had nightmares for years. Oh, did you have nightmares? I did. I, I kept having a nightmare that the T-Rex would rip off like the roof of my bedroom, right. which was all, like on the bottom floor of a, a larger building. Right. Whatever. <laughs> and like it was looking down at me and I was like, ah, and like it would like put its claw over as though it was on the wire, but like on it, on the edge of my wall. Wow. Spielberg yeah. really did it. No, oh, he did it. Let's listen to the trailer, shall we? Yeah. Welcome to Jurassic Park. We've made living biological attractions so astounding that they'll capture the imagination of the entire planet. The most phenomenal discovery of our time. How'd you do this? Becomes the greatest adventure of all time. You feel that? Hold on to your butts. A Steven Spielberg film. Fences are failing all over the park. Yeah, that's nice. Gotta go. I can't get Jurassic Park back online. 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park. Hold on to your butts. Okay, so Michael Crichton wrote the novel, right? Yep. He wrote it in 1990, but he first got the idea in 1981, and he was attempting to write a screenplay about a pterodactyl being cloned from an egg, but he wasn't sure how to like plausibly bring dinosaurs back mm. until... He learned about this beetle that contained dinosaur blood from more than 65 million years ago that had been discovered in amber. Ooh. So that was the whole thing where he was like, ah, I can, I can do it. Now, <laughs> like, at the beginning, he was starting to write this novel because of his concern for, like, the rise of scientism and biogenetics for the sake of profit. And he also incorporates the amusement park run amuck element of an earlier screenplay of his called Westworld. Mm. Did you know that he wrote Westworld? I didn't. Oh, I I told you that, I think, on air. Did you? I think there's literally an episode earlier of Oh, That's a Thing where I was like, Michael Crichton. Why else were we talking about Michael Crichton? We we did a Michael Crichton movie, didn't we? Yeah. Fuck. Maybe I didn't tell you on air. I was like, there's a lot of person. I know I told you in person because I made the joke about how Michael Crichton. Oh, yeah. It was just like when you were watching Westworld, I was Mm -hmm. like, Michael Crichton knows how to make a park gone wrong. Oh. And you were like, why? What? Well, audience. Well, he wrote that in Jurassic Park. I. I, that also I didn't I haven't watched Westworld for like a year and a half so let's be fair no, you're like you fucking giving you as hard of a time as I can oh well and you were telling me Spielberg was working on something else when this was all coming to play well actually Michael Crichton yeah he was working with Spielberg on a script that Crichton had written back in the 70s called EW 
which stood for Emergency Ward. Oh. Now, Michael Crichton eventually created the show ER, uh-huh. which was Emergency Room. <laughs> Back in the 70s, they called it a ward. Oh, boy. Actually, now they call it a, it would be ED if it was created today because it's the emergency department rather than the Is emergency Is it a department room. now? Mm-hmm. I yeah. guess it's more than one room. Yeah, so they were working on that together, and then Michael Crichton mentioned to Spielberg one day that he was working on a movie about Dinosaur Park and yeah. you know bringing dinosaurs back, and Spielberg was like, forget this ER idea. Uh-huh. What? Let me make this. Right. And then later on, Spielberg actually produced the pilot of ER, which was Michael Crichton's screenplay. Totally. I didn't know that Spielberg had anything to do with ER, but yeah. I also learned that Spielberg, like when he was doing post-production for Jurassic Park, it was while he was filming uh, Schindler's List. <laughs> so you could imagine he needed like an hour before he could even, because oh, he's sitting there on location yeah. in like Poland or something, having to talk to fucking animators and stuff, being like, Bob, dinosaur sounds. And meanwhile, it's like yeah. the most heart-wrenching <laughs> film That must have ever been done. like keeping him sane yeah. to be like, let me go focus on something that's like silly, fun, interesting in that way. Well, it got to the point, he almost lost his mojo for Jurassic Park. He like needed to get it back because oh, I would wow. imagine it was such an existential crazy thing. Schindler's List is like insane. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he was like, what am I doing wasting yeah. my time on these dinosaurs? Dinos. Yeah. But oh, good thing he did because it became the highest grossing film ever until Titanic. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. That makes sense. And then after that, was it what, Avatar or something? Yep. <laughs> so I was saying earlier that Michael Crichton was writing the novel because he was like, scientism, oh, there's slippery slope, blah, blah, mm. blah. He has said that his views on science and genetic engineering are largely expressed by Ian Malcolm, who is Jeff Goldblum's character. Yeah. And Steven Spielberg, on the other hand, saw many parallels to himself in the character of John Hammond, who's Attenborough. David yeah. or Richard, I forget. Which one is which? Who's Not in the, movie? the documentarian. Right. Other uh, one. Richard. <laughs> Brother. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Richard same. Richard was in the movie. David is the one who does right, the... Right. That's what I thought. I was like, fuck. I totally <laughs> gaslit myself when I was writing my notes. No, no. But they even, even so far as... You know, Goldblum is dressed all in black. Hammond is dressed all in white. Oh, it was this whole like I didn't even think about science that. verse. You know, the prophet. I did read that, like in the book, Hammond is portrayed as like this evil businessman, and that Spielberg wanted to humanize him because it was like I identify with this showman. Uh, you know, right, this exactly. guy who like really wants to put on a show for the well, world. Because at first you're totally endeared to him with that little mini documentary at the beginning that's just like, yeah. oh, you read Jurassic <laughs> Park. I'm cute. Well, I'm interacting a, with a, cartoons. Yeah, I need a pinprick of your DNA. Yeah. Did you know the glass of water sitting on the dash of the Explorer was made to ripple using a guitar string that was attached to the underside of the dash beneath the glass? Man. So someone there was just like... Strumming away. I'm playing the T-Rex. Because they would, of course, do the delivery. Dueling T-Rex Dueling banjos. Yeah. Jim Carrey was originally going to be cast as the Jeff Goldblum character. Can you imagine yes. what the movie would have been like? To the mathemat- to the crazy yeah. mathematician. Is the one going like, life finds a way. Right. Like Jim Carrey hamming it up. It's so crazy. I mean, I we always come across these where it's like original casting decisions versus what they right. ended up with. And I don't know if it would be better or worse. I just think it would be completely different. Yeah. Because at least Goldblum had the, you know, the backstory of doing The Fly. And he just has, the, he's like a total mm. neurotic weirdo anyway. And so is Jim Carrey, but he's like a clown, right. you know? <laughs> well, they both got both together on, on Earth Girls Are Easy, oh, and so yeah. it all worked. <laughs> it all works out they in the end. They were part of the same crew. Yeah. What were their names? They were both aliens. I don't remember their names. Yeah. 
Damon Wayans. Them and Damon Wayans, yeah. (laughs) And they're all like with, was it Sigourney? Gina Davis. Gina Davis, I'm sorry. Oh my God. Sorry, Gina. You should be fucking sorry. I know. know, They're like Goldblum and Gina Davis from The Fly also in. Right. Those are easy. I should know. I should have known. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Okay, so I remember hearing something about the dinosaur sounds being just like a some kind of soup of sounds that they yeah, just I know like put like together. Lion roars in there. There's I don't know if there's lion roars. I know there's like a bunch of predator sounds. Yeah, totally. So let's start with the T Rex. Those roars were a combination of dog, penguin, tiger, alligator, and elephant sounds. Whoa. And that sounds. Oh yeah, because the elephant horn like. Right. Yeah, yeah. When you yeah, listen listen to this, guys. <laughs> It's such a terrifying noise. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Oh, man. man. So intense. So (laughs) then there's the, what's the name of the thing with the frilly neck? The Dilophosaurus? I think that was the Dilophosaurus. Yeah. Something like that. Dilophosaurus? I I don't know. know. I really don't know. So that sound was made by combining the calls of a swan and a hawk, a rattlesnake, you know, rattle to make the sound of its little neck thing, and then a howler monkey, I think, was thrown in as well. (laughs) Listen to this. God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It also made that noise. Yeah, because this had it all like spliced up, right? Like just that sound. So it's just like a space of silence. And then like, I mean, it makes sense. Makes sense. And then finally, there's the raptors that were dolphins in heat recorded underwater and then when they hiss that's an agitated goose i think there's a walrus thrown in there as well whoa but they sound like this right so that's obviously under you know other people reacting and shit too it sounds so weird when it's disjointed (laughs) like that but Right? They just took them all together. Well, that's also like, when I hear that now, I hear it as the dinosaur. Right. I'm like, that's the sound of the T-Rex. Of the Velociraptor. Or the, or the, yeah, of the <laughs> Velociraptor. It's like, it's I don't hear the individual sounds of the animals, right. even when the visual is removed of the dinosaur. Yeah. You're still I, like, it, that's the sound of a real live... <laughs> a real live yeah. T-Rex. The Brachiosaurus, the, uh, bra- the Brontosauruses, rather. Yes. Is that where those were with the weird heads, the giant ones in the tree? They the Brachiosaurus. The yeah. Brachiosaurus. They put whale and donkey sounds for them. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> they can't go out in the wild and record a brachiosaur. So. They probably sounded like that. I yeah. think they got it right. They got it right. They nailed it. I was thinking about like the earliest discoveries of dinosaur bones. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how long have we known about these things being dinosaurs? <laughs> what oh, specifically being dinosaurs. Or like, yeah, like what did we first think that they were? Right. And it turns out there are references dating all the way back over 2,000 years ago in China to dragon bones being found. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. So wouldn't it make a lot of sense that like a lot of the legends, even like Greek and Roman legends mm-hmm. about like trolls and giants and stuff like that, all yeah. comes from finding some bones that make no fucking sense. Right. And then do, do you think it was from the finding of the bones that they created the these, mythical creatures? Yeah, or I they th- were like, no, this proves our point about these <laughs> things we've been talking about for a long time, right? No, I think that they were the origin of the creatures. Gotcha. I mean, I don't know that for sure. But that but makes sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. It wasn't until 1676 when a huge thigh bone was discovered in England by a guy named Reverend Plot. And they thought that the bone belonged to a giant. <laughs> Just a giant person. <laughs> The plot thickens. The plot. The reverend plot thickens. 
It wasn't until 1824, like 150 years later, that the first dinosaur was described in any kind of a scientific way, and that was a megalosaurus. Mm -hmm. And the word dinosaur still hadn't been invented. Scientists at the time described the megalosaurus as an extinct reptile. Mm -hmm. There were some fossilized dinosaur footprints discovered early in the early 1800s in New England, which scholars from Harvard and Yale thought to be from Noah's raven. Did Noah have a raven? I didn't. I, this is, <laughs> or just I'm was that one of the one of the pairs? One of the many pairs that Noah had on his boat. I don't okay. know. I, or if it was a giant that yeah. he had that like mythically went out. And I, I yeah. really don't know. Not biblical scholars over here. But the footprints were thought to be unimportant, and so they were blown up to make way for a quarry. Okay. So literally blown up. Literally blown up with dynamite. Oh. They were, they were like, what are these stupid Ooh, I, footprints? They're just taking up space. Yeah. In 1841, Sir Richard Owen is the first person to classify them as a suborder of large extinct reptiles, and he coins the term dinosauria. Mm. That's from the Greek dinos, meaning fearfully great, and soros, meaning lizard. Fearfully great lizard. So the whole lizard thing, which we now know to be mostly false, right. we now understand that modern day birds are the descendants of old dinosaurs. Yeah. And so they were much more bird-like and more in that universe than we ever thought. Because we never really knew what their what their skin texture was like, right? We right. just assumed that it, which, they were kind of either scaly or Yeah, whatever. which I, I'm going to get into that later, like mm -hmm. what kind of information you can learn from just seeing bones. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like the, the guy at the time, Sir Richard Owen... He put dinosaurs into a separate taxonomic group, mainly to help his argument against the new idea of evolution. Against it? Against oh, it. Oh, no. What does taxonomic mean? I think it's like he put them into a different like kingdom or phylum okay, or okay. class. Gotcha, gotcha. Something There's so many degree. subgroups, right? Right. But his, him putting them in the separate taxonomic group wound up making evolution's point. <laughs> in a way that he didn't expect. Right. The so, truth usually finds a way free. The, the truth finds a way <laughs> that's right <laughs> but yeah it sounds like there were a huge number of discoveries in the late 1800s leading into the early 1900s with the first full dinosaur skeletons being discovered and paleontologists realizing like there was this whole other world that existed mm -hmm. 65 million years ago i mean it does make me wonder what it was like to first encounter these bones i'm imagining mm -hmm. just this soup of bones like almost in the la brea tar pits Right. They, yeah. There are times where it's like that. Other times, and I think the earliest discoveries were more Pretty like... preserved. Really preserved, yeah. It's true, because nobody had really fucked with them, so they just were in the rock. Right, and also they were the earliest discoveries. Mm -hmm. So it's like now the obvious ones are kind of all picked over, mm -hmm. and you got to go into more yeah. obscure places and find you know f smaller fragments of bones right it's but, like smaller insects and shit maybe. but they still find like a year ago they found the tail of a 99 million year old dinosaur including bones soft tissue and feathers found preserved in amber last year holy shit well i mean it's interesting you say that i'm going to talk about just some fun amber facts later but it is it's cool to think that just this, the special way that Amber in particular preserves things, right. that you're able to have that kind of detail. Right. And that sample apparently was found in Myanmar, which has been in the middle of a war for decades. <laughs> and there's like a lot of Amber mines in the area. And so we may be having like a huge discoveries of Amber dinosaurs if this conflict does in fact end. Another reason to end war, guys. <laughs> what is it good for? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Science. 
So Jeff Goldblum's character specializes in chaos theory. Ah, yes. And so he predicts that Jurassic Park would quickly start behaving in unpredictable ways and that it was just an accident waiting to happen. And he's he's proven right in hours. Right. (laughs) It did not take very long. Everyone's like, what is this bozo saying? And then within 20 minutes, yeah. Now, until the revolution of quantum mechanics in the 20th century, people really just believed that things were directly caused by other things. So what goes up has to come down, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And physics in general was really good at describing certain kinds of behavior like planets in orbit, spacecraft going to the moon, pendulum springs, that sort of thing. Like any sort of regular movement of objects that can be described in linear equations. But there's Newtonian physics. Yeah, exactly. Straightforward. Well, yeah, for those of us who don't know (laughs) that well... But there's another kind of behavior which physics doesn't handle quite as well, and that's anything to do with turbulence, for example, like something that you can't just easily solve with a linear equation. It's actually nonlinear, right? This is like water coming out of a spout, blood flowing through the heart. Okay. Weather. Weather is a big one. Physics didn't really understand this until reasonably recently when chaos theory came into being. So back in the 60s, there were these attempts at making computer models of weather, and early researchers learned that even from computer models, even if you could understand the weather, you really couldn't predict it. You know, the behavior of a weather system is totally dependent on initial conditions. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like if you if you fire a bullet with a certain weight out of a gun at a certain speed, a certain angle, and then try to recreate that, even if the, the initial angle is slightly off, the bullet's most likely going to land in almost the same spot. But if you start a weather system with a certain temperature, wind speed, and humidity, and then repeat it with almost the same temperature, wind, and humidity, the second system is not going to behave almost the same. It's going to get all kind of crazy. This this is also wrapped into the idea of the butterfly effect. Right. Right? So, like, the beating of a butterfly's wings can theoretically cause enough of an atmospheric disturbance to significantly alter later weather outcomes. So, like, a butterfly beats its wings in Hong Kong, but you've, it affects the atmosphere in New York. So is the reason that you can't predict this, like, basically the same initial weather conditions because of living beings and too many other factors going into what causes the weather systems? It's really complicated because it's like basically having to calculate the momentum and position of every particle in Earth's atmosphere, and that's impossible to do. At least today. Right, at least today. With today's computers. Exactly. And we've come so much farther, right, to at least be able to predict, but it's just we can't really predict farther than like two hours because it just... Well, we we can like make predictions that are not insanely accurate. Right, exactly. You know, like when the hurricanes were hitting the Caribbean this year, it was like the European model has it going off to the West a little Mm -hmm. bit, and then the American model has it going off. And I do imagine that it's going to get a lot better over time Mm -hmm. as the computer models become more sophisticated. Right. But But just considering you can't even really accurately pinpoint what the initial conditions are, how could you possibly really calculate what's going to happen later? It's just because it's a complicated thing. It's the atmosphere. Too many pieces moving. Too many cooks in the kitchen. It is weird how these small things that that seem like they don't even exist to us. Yeah are actually completely controlling the entire world. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and it gets so conflated when, like, the idea, even just that fucking shitty movie, The Butterfly Effect. Oh, yeah. Well, it's been a while since I've seen it. Is it shitty? Oh, yeah. It's Ashton Kutcher. (laughs) Need need you say more. Yeah, Yeah, but it was cool to actually boil it down and see, like, ah, but even within the chaos theory, there's some equilibrium to be found. But that doesn't mean that they don't use chaos theory for, like, all sorts of shit, like predicting the stock market and oh. like riding crowds, brain waves during epilepsy. I've seen like migratory patterns of birds, spread of vegetation. So it's all these things that like we know that we can't know exactly, but why not guesstimate? Yeah. <laughs> 
in the movie, as you know, <laughs> scientists bring back extinct animals. They do? The dinosaurs. Oh, those. The, those were the extinct ones. Oh. Well, scientists in real life have been working on resurrecting the woolly mammoth, which went extinct about 4,000 years ago. Only four? Yeah. They actually think that they're about two years away from having a viable mammoth embryo, that they could grow into an entire mammoth. (laughs) (laughs) Whole mammoth. (laughs) They're going to do this in a crazily Jurassic Park way. Really? Because they're combining 42,000-year-old woolly mammoth DNA that was preserved in permafrost rather than amber, and they're going to mix that with modern Asian elephant DNA rather than frogs in order to complete the sequence. And they've said that it'll be more like an elephant with a bunch of mammoth traits than a mammoth itself. And they're going to use the gene splicing technique that you've talked about before, CRISPR. Oh, really? That's what allows scientists to cut and paste DNA sequences. And so they're going to use that, incorporate it with the Asian elephant, and bring back the woolly mammoth. That totally makes sense. And and that's a good point to remind us all about in Jurassic Park, they... You, they like fill in the gaps of the dinosaur DNA with right. frog, which is interesting that none of them had any frog-like traits. Well, really. that's the thing is actually with this, none of them will have elephant-like traits. They'll all have mammoth traits, but they're but. using parts of the DNA that don't present physical traits. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what? it's like they're completing the sequence using elephant DNA, but they're using all of the physical traits that of a, thing. Of, okay. of a mammoth. So in behavior and everything, they'll be more like elephants. You mean? No, I, I mean, like, like in ways that we won't be able to see. I mean, it's I guess possible. that's what I mean when yeah, I say, like, yeah. what do you mean besides, like, being like? So right. is that internally, is that, like, their herding patterns, their eating d- patterns? Uh, we don't know. I guess we'll find out. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, now that I think about it, it's like, I don't know the answer <laughs> right, to that question. Right. I, I just know that they, they claim it will look like a woolly mammoth at the very right. least. Right, okay. And a lot of the young scientists who are in this field and working on this project were certainly inspired by specifically Jurassic Park to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the way that, like, all the people who are in artificial intelligence right now all saw 2001 A Space Odyssey when Mm -hmm. they were kids and they Mm -hmm. wanted to make HAL. So in the classic, uh, like, not learning of what the movie's trying to say. Exactly. They're like, let's do the thing that ended up, like, ruining everyone's lives in that. Some people got eaten, but exactly. let's do it. But so there's more reasons to do this than just create a park full of woolly mammoths. Mm-hmm. Elephants are an endangered species, and some scientists want to swap out a few genes for mammoth genes, not to bring the mammoth back, but to help the elephants survive in colder climates. Oh, to preserve right. the elephants. Right. How does that come into play with, like global warming because those colder parts are getting warmer well i'm about to talk about global warming it's it's perfect because the other reason that they want to bring back the woolly mammoth is for global warming reasons Uh there's a huge issue with permafrost melting and releasing an enormous amount of carbon dioxide methane too right methane too we've talked about the methane burps right 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 there's a group of russian scientists that are repopulating a part of the tundra with large herbivores like reindeer and bison And them just being there have lowered the temperature of the permafrost by as much as 15 degrees. Why? They graze and trample trees, and they help the area become grassland again. And that slows the thaw. And then things like mammoths used to punch through the snow, allowing cold air to come into the snow and cooling the ground. Mm-hmm. So the combination of like the trees that have now been able to grow because they weren't trampled by mammoths and the lack of cold air getting into the ground is causing all the permafrost to melt. And this may actually really change it. Wow. OK. All right. Now they call this area Pleistocene Park. <sighs> the alliteration happening, too. Oh, they do. And 
you know, Pleistocene was the Ice Age. Right. And it, oh, it's, I can smell it now. And that movie was such a big franchise. I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez, I didn't even <laughs> think it's about like Jurassic that. Jurassic Park meets Ice Age. Fuck, Dennis yeah. Leary is going to be there just cutting the ribbon. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, he really should be. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it's not really for tourists, but mm-hmm. they want to bring back woolly mammoths to introduce it to the Russian tundra. And it's really a geoengineering experiment called Pleistocene Park mm-hmm. to combat global warming. I and hope it stays that way. I'm always, you know, it's always this the delicate balance that you have to walk. Because <laughs> yeah. even like we were saying with Hammond, he seemed like he all, you know, positive intentions for Jurassic Park. But he's even like, we're relying too much on automation. Next time it'll be better. And she's like, people are dying, <laughs> right. John. Exactly. Finishing up your <laughs> stupid melting ice cream. Yeah. Shut up. Wayne Knight's getting weird muck thrown in his face. <laughs> Yikes. A lot of amber in this movie, huh? Definitely. Lots of amber. We talked before about, you know, what we associate amber with of just preserving the mosquito that had the dinosaur blood in it and whatnot. But I I looked into some fun amber facts. Ooh. Now, I didn't know. Well, I guess I knew this, but no, I didn't really know this. Amber (laughs) amber was once part of a tree's immune system. You know that? So when a tree is punctured or scratched, the tree releases a sticky substance called resin to seal the wounded area. Like sap. Yeah, that's what I guess sap is is resin and it's supposed to like, you know. Coagulate and stuff. Yeah, like heal the. I never thought of it like that. Right. It's like our blood clots. You do tap a a tree, like a tree, and then you get sap from it. You dig into it. Yeah, you take its blood. Like like a leech, just blood sucking the (laughs) tree. Maple syrup on your pancakes is just tree blood. You drip it on top of your breakfast. Yeah. Never look at Aunt Jemima the same. (laughs) Now, most forms of this tree resin, the sap, are chemically unstable and will decay over time rather than harden, but chemically stable kinds of resin over time as in like millions of years, will harden and form this translucent version of amber that we're familiar with. So the majority of amber is found within Cretaceous and Paleogene sedimentary rocks. These are approximately 30 to 90 million years old. However, in 2009, researchers discovered a 320 million year old piece of amber in an Illinois coal mine. Whoa. Illinois. I don't know why Bring I'm like, why coal. would you? <laughs> Bring it back. Damn it. <laughs> Now, the largest amber deposits in the world are in the Baltic region. So over 105 tons of Baltic amber were produced by these Paleogene forests in northern Europe. And this amber is considered the highest quality because Ooh. it's the best at preserving anatomical details of fossil insects. So like some of the cool things that they've found in the amber, like frogs, lizards, geckos. They found snake skins, bird feathers, hair and bones of mammals, along with plenty of other plant material. But like you were mentioning earlier, one of the more exciting was the discovery of what scientists say may be the feather of a theropod dinosaur. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's the same one. I think so. This was a juvenile coelurosaur. Oh, so maybe there was more than one feathered little dino found. Could have been. Yeah. All right. But unlike in the movie, scientists have not yet successfully extracted functioning DNA from trapped insects because DNA, as it turns out, has a half-life of 521 years. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So that just means that I didn't realize it was that specific. Yeah, me neither. So apparently in 521 years, 
what half-life means is just half of the bonds between nucleotides in a DNA sample will have broken, and then from another 521 years, then those are done. So if right. you're talking millions of years, it's like... You wind up nah. with like a small fraction that's yeah. viable DNA, like, so not the, enough I, to actually get... Yeah, and like yeah. certainly not enough to be like, well, just clone these bad boys in the lab. Right. But at, at the very least, though, it's allowed paleontologists to, you know, at least be able to reconstruct life on Earth just by, you know, some of the, the specimens that they've found. Yeah, and you can see it like it keeps the skin on and stuff like that right. Right? Like it's <laughs> not the skin on <laughs> yeah it's amber is the ultimate yeah, moisturizer it's, it's the trees of life man it's <laughs> the crazy tr- the blood trees of life so amber and people we've had some, we've had a relationship with amber throughout the years i like, guess like some as people, jewelry yeah yeah that but uh according to judith frondell who's an, the author of the book amber facts and fancies <laughs> fancies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apparently, early modern humans believed that amber was consolidated lynx urine, what? sunlight solidifying on ocean waves, or tears of birds from India. Wait, whoa, hold on. <laughs> sunlight solidifying on ocean waves? Like, it's literally... Because it's, like, golden, right. right? But it's solid. And they're like, those beams must be... Must liquid be... going That's... on the water, solidifying on top of the water. Whoa. And You're then like, what was the last one? Bird tears? <laughs> Bird tears. You're like, lynx urine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totes. Lynx urine, I get it. You condense, you know, urine. I can't believe it's specifically of a lynx, though. And not just like any old urine. Only their pee is as golden hued as... <laughs> right. Right. They're very dehydrated, the lynx. <laughs> I know, right? You know? Fuck. Now, the ancient Egyptians really liked amber. Some scholars think that these resins were intended to represent the tears of Ra. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we're so God tears, yeah, not, <laughs> yeah. Bird, bird tears, tears God tears. Oh, and this is pretty cool. So according to the Swedish Museum of Amber, whole fucking museum in Sweden. Well, I gotta visit there. <laughs> yeah. Over twenty five hundred years ago, the Greek philosopher Thales of Miletus, who knows, discovered that when amber was rubbed against cloth, it produced sparks and attracted feathers, husks, and small wooden splinters. So this force was given the name electricity after the Greek what? word electron, which means amber. Whoa. Electron means amber? amber in Greek. And so it was because amber was creating basically static yeah, electricity. Yeah, it created like sparks when you rubbed it across cloth. Apparently, now I'm like, is that the amber? Or is that your like? What's happening here? <laughs> yeah, what kind of cloth do you yeah, have? Yeah, right. But wow, like on my chainmail, I was really surprised. Yeah, to see, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> my flint against this stone. Oh, no. no, but is that nuts? That is insane. Yeah. Well, because it's, I mean, it is kind of like majestic looking. I'm, now I'm thinking about it. I haven't really looked at Amber, really looked at Amber in a while. <laughs> and you're like, Have you ever really looked <laughs> at, Amber? at Amber? It looks like it's up to something. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, oh man, I, now I've got a bunch of questions about the discovery of electricity. Right? Because like realizing that it came Amber. from like Amber rubbing on it and that's where the it's word comes from. It's gotta be the like, glow. <laughs> this is the sound of my right. mind being blown. <laughs> yeah, totally. Ah. Ah. All right. Strap. Oh, hold on to your butts again, you guys. <laughs> hold we use on that to again. Your butts. We use that again. Now, before modern medicine, amber was worn as a necklace or charm or carried around in small bags as a remedy against gout, rheumatism, sore throats, toothache, and stomach ache. Not too weird, right? There was mummy powder at a time. People right. did a lot of weird shit. Were people like swallowing the amber? No, they just like carried it around. It was supposed to, you know, like oh. ward off the sick. An amulet. <laughs> an amberulet. <laughs> amberulet. <laughs> oh, also, we associate amber with being that orangey, electricity-looking color, I guess, but mm. it has been cataloged in as many as 300 colors, even leaning toward green or blue when, you know, there's certain plant materials that are 
mm. you know, resonated. That's not the oh. way, but you know, <laughs> you've been resonated. <laughs> and finally, to all of those out there who maybe amber is their birthstone, it's actually not a gemstone, guys. It's an organic gem. You know, it's from sap, so it's organic. So the proper classification for organic gems like amber or like coral or pearl uh -huh. is gem material, not gemstone. Okay. I know. Sure. <laughs> What's your gem material? Anyway. Amber. Amber. The amber it's also glue. My name. So, but the amber is always made from sap. Mm -hmm. it, but like, what causes the coloration is the environment. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it sort of maybe it depends on what type of tree or if it, if like something else uh, gets yeah. stuck in the sap with it. Well, I don't it would know. make sense to me that like I wonder if like there's amber from ancient extinct trees. Because there was getting like, stuck in getting stuck in further amber. Oh, man. <laughs> like no, no, but of like, amber. being its own amber. Because part of the movie was that they have all these extinct plants in addition to yeah. the extinct dinosaurs from the Cretaceous period. And I wonder what kind of crazy stuff we could learn about extinct plants too. Let's do it. Let's save it for another time. There's got to be plant themed shit out there, right? <laughs> well, let's watch the happening. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> You say that as a joke, and yet it's gonna come up. I know. I know that is now definitely gonna happen. I was thinking about how, like, all we really know is the bones of these dinosaurs. And uh -huh. in the movie, he's, like, talking about hunting patterns of the velociraptor. He's talking about how the T-Rex's vision is based on movement. And I'm like, how can you find that out from a bone? Right, right. And the answer is mostly you can't. Right, mostly you cannot. R correct. Oh, okay. You know, but let's start with the skin. So we now know <laughs> that it's not really scaly. It's like hairy and right. stuff. and feathery. Feathery and stuff, yeah. And the way that we know that the velociraptor has feathers mm -hmm. is that if you look microscopically on some of its bones, there are quill knobs right. that are embedded. They're like in anchor spots in the bones for feathers. And we don't see this in all birds, uh -huh. but we do see it in birds that are really good at flying. Right. Which led me to thinking, Maybe they they, could they fly? Now, we think no because of the bone structure. So it's like we... They had crazy big legs, didn't they? Yeah. They they looked more like little turkeys. They were more yeah, like yeah, yeah. turkey-sized, actually. Stocky. But they definitely had all these feathers. And they think that an ancestor of the Velociraptor lost the ability to fly, but then they kept the feathers. Uh -huh. And the way they know this is that not only can they look at the bones themselves and try to figure out, like, oh, it stood up this way, but then they use computer models to see how it ran and how mm -hmm. it moved and... Even if it had these feathers, it was very unlikely that it could fly. Right. But boy, that would be a scary fucking. Absolutely. Well, and also they made the in the movie they made the raptors quite a bit larger than they really were. That's right. Right. And then there was another dinosaur that was later discovered, like the Utahsaurus or something like oh, that. Yeah? yeah, it was. It was called something dumb. And they, I think. <laughs> Whether it was Spielberg or so-and-so involved with the movie was just like, oh, we created and then they discovered. Like it was this other species that wasn't Velociraptor yeah. that was actually that big? Yeah. Well, Spielberg, you still screwed up. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it wasn't until like right as the movie was coming out that we started figuring out that they were feathered and not really lizards. And mm -hmm. so the movie was already like in production mm -hmm. and they have like a reference to, we think maybe they were more bird-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now we understand that they, like, birds are the only living animals that we believe are direct descendants of dinosaurs. They definitely still played with that, though, with their crazy fucking talons and their, like, like you know, their yeah. bird-like movements, I guess. 
Well, another way that you can learn from fossils is by the environment that they were in. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, some fossils are found where a T-Rex and a Velociraptor were locked in a battle. And they both died mm-hmm. and then were covered and like they're in the middle of like ripping one's oh, legs shit. off. And, like I think it was it was actually a triceratops and the velociraptors like bones were broken by the triceratops, but it like had its claw embedded in the triceratops's neck. Oh. So it was like they both killed each other and then died. And so you can start to learn a little bit about their hunting techniques through scenes like this sure. that are discovered. Sure. There was even a like a crazy discovery that was found where a group of dinosaurs were like near enough to a huge volcano to survive the explosion, but then they were close enough to be suffocated by an insane amount of ash that mm. fell on them, and then the entire area was covered in ash and preserved this whole like mass grave. Oh, sort of like uh, Pompeii. Kind of like Pompeii, yeah. exactly, and then. They are able to extrapolate from that like, oh, they were moving in herds Mm -hmm. because the herd was frozen. And this just kind of makes me think about like the way the evolution of theories happen Mm -hmm. of like things that we can't know by measuring, but we can extrapolate. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking about the theories of how the moon formed over the years. Oh, it's a little bit of a tangent. Right. Sure. It's okay. But go with me. Well, we already talked about chaos theory. Let's get chaotic. Let's get chaotic. (laughs) One of the many things that we thought about the moon was that, like, the early Earth was spinning so fast that part of the material, like, of the molten Earth just, like, glooped off (laughs) and became the moon. But we now know that that's not true. Mm -hmm. Then we thought it was an asteroid that came into Earth's orbit at just the right angle. Mm -hmm. But even that doesn't really make any sense. We didn't realize until we started taking measurements of the moon and learned what its composition was. It's not cheese. (laughs) Okay. We now think that an object about the size of Mars impacted the early molten Earth at an angle that ejected a huge amount of the Earth's material itself and combined with this other object. And then that is why the moon is so close to Earth with such a perfect orbit and is perfectly circular. So it's like the end of the composition is made up of the same as on Earth. Uh Whereas on Mars, Mars has two moons, which seem to be captured asteroids that have elliptical orbits and weird shapes to them. And Uh they are not made up of the surface of Mars. So sorry about the tangent. No, (laughs) but it might have been a forced moon situation. Right. I just find it interesting the way like the first thought is like, yeah, it was an asteroid that came into our orbit. And now we realize like, no, this huge Mars like object impacted the Earth and like the mathematical models of how the material ejects and then forms the moon is mm-hmm. like, it all makes sense to us. Right. And so we're like, this is the best theory we have. Yeah. I mean, we come to this time and time again where it's just like whatever given information you have for a particular time in history, they're doing the best with what they have. Right. Like, it's just about, you know, maintaining the willingness to change with the facts exactly right? instead of being exactly. like but we've known from the time no, it's like the chinese are like no it's still definitely dragons right exactly we know that they're dragons the moon is definitely still cheese yeah exactly <laughs> animals especially when they're in a single sex environment will spontaneously change sex and reproduce with whoever's around mm-hmm. and in the movie they find eggs of the dinosaurs and they're like wait a minute they're all female how could this have happened and then grant realizes that they used part of the dna from certain frogs to combine with the dinosaurs and frogs have the ability to spontaneously change sex 
the common reed frog, which is Hyperolius virid flavus. <laughs> nice. Very likely to be named by Jerry Lewis. <laughs> which, virid flavus. <laughs> It lives in West Africa, and it's been known to spontaneously change sex from female to male, usually because the population does not have enough males to allow for reproduction. Right. I don't know you how... You clownfish before? Yeah, because okay. clownfish and lots of, lots of fish actually do the same kind of thing, where they're in a school of only females, one will switch to male or the other way around. Because what was it? They were like genetically engineered to just be female in the movie? That was the idea in the movie, right. was that like that's how they can't reproduce, is that they're only female. Right, but okay. common reed frog will spontaneously change sex in an all-female environment. Now, I don't know what actually sets in motion the frog's knowledge that it's, you know, like how does the frog chemically know that it's in a single sex environment. Right. Is it like looking around? I don't see any guys. Yeah. And then there's got to be some weird pheromones of, happening. Right? right. Like I don't. There's got to be something involving that. But there's like a chemical trigger which activates the sex gene to disintegrate the female organs and develop male ones. Wow. And when that kicks in, self sex change. But there's even organisms though will, that will change forward and back, and they can. Some of them can do it as many as ten times. I would love to do that. <laughs> Just be a man for a minute. Just for a minute, you know? Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm open to so many experiences, right? <laughs> Just to really broaden your mind. Well, with your AI VR future, you may get your wish. Like, what would Joya be like as a man? Probably dress the same. <laughs> well, it's interesting just this idea that, you know, so the dinosaurs were genetically engineered to be female and what, like all of these controls that the scientists were trying to maintain right. so that didn't go crazy. So there was another one, the lysine contingency. If, I don't know if you remember that. It was like this genetic mm -hmm. alteration that Henry Wu performed in the dinosaur genome. Mm -hmm. And it basically just erased the ability of the dinosaurs to produce the amino acid lysine. And this was to force the dinosaurs to only depend on the lysine supplements that the scientists would give them. They could ostensibly never escape from the park because they'd never survive without the food supplements and yada, 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 yada. Right. This is supposed to not like fuck up the world, you know, the global ecosystem. Makes sense. It seems like it's a good contingency. <laughs> Although, of course, so that they could keep the franchise going in the Lost World in Jurassic Park 3, it's like, actually, the dinosaurs can survive by eating lysine-rich food. Oh. <laughs> you well, know, like humans. <laughs> wait, so, okay. Right. There's going to be some Jurassic Park nerd out there that's like, wait, you right. went through this whole expository process <laughs> of telling us yeah. how this could never happen. But anyway, I wanted to look into lysine, right? What it actually is. So lysine is one of the essential amino acids that, that we require. This means that we don't actually... Our bodies don't produce it. We have to find it in food, okay. food sources. But we do need it. We do need it because one of the, well, several of the things it does include increasing calcium absorption. It aids in building muscle protein. It produces hormones, enzymes, antibodies. So like protecting your body from sickness and that kind of thing. So like a deficiency of lysine can lead to anemia, bloodshot eyes, fatigue. So high lysine foods include lean beef, cheese, turkey, chicken, pork, you know, all the ways that you get your protein. So it's okay. basically like the dinosaurs just had to eat some chicken well this was a terrible plan i know if there's lysine in everything <laughs> that think, we're eating i think they banked their their yeah because it's all not even just like you know even if you're a vegetarian you can find it in like nuts and seeds yeah, and you know you beans. gotta make them dependent on something that you can't just find in nature <laughs> right? what the fuck are you talking about that's a terrible contingency now one of the most commonly because apparently this is a pretty common thing that folks are dealing with. One of the common things that lysine is used for is dealing with herpes. Oh. And I don't know, I don't know what's it called when it's on your herpes. Genital herpes. Genital. <laughs> what happens when it's on your, what, what are they called? Things, you know, genital. Your, your pee pee, no, your not privates. It. The, the, <laughs> 
So I don't know if this is the case for genital herpes, but specifically herpes simplex one. Is that what herpes is? Regular I've herpes? heard of herpes simplex think, one. Is that the think, cold sore one? I think one? that's the genital one. Then there's the cold sore one. The point is it sounds like with any genital <laughs> or not genital herpes. Herpes of any heart. kind. <laughs> You can take lysine and it will help you with your outbreak because there's another amino acid that is produced by the body that's called arginine, 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 I think. And this actually promotes herpes replication. Okay. So lysine and arginine are antagonistic amino acids, which means that like when lysine's high, arginine is low. So lysine will help suppress your herpes growth. <laughs> I think we know the real reason they were giving it to the dinosaurs now. <laughs> If you know what I'm saying. They're getting busy. busy although <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, you can take lysine supplements if you're having some kind of outbreak or whatever, but really you shouldn't do that because, there's, you know, if you take too many of those pills, your kidney gets all fucked up. So it's just like, you know, you, you can consume more fruits and veggies that have lysine <laughs> and stuff and just less chocolates and gelatin, which are rich in arginine. I got Any it. of you herpes folks out there. <laughs> I'll keep it in mind. Yeah, it's important. Did you have any favorite lines in this? Besides life finds a way and hold on to your butts. And hold on to your butts. No. Well, my favorite line is actually turned into a YouTube video because at one moment, Jeff Goldblum has this incredible laugh. Oh, on the airplane. On, yeah, the helicopter. The helicopter. Yeah. And he's, it's, you know, I'm just going to play, not the full 10 minutes, but a good section Give of it. Give us some time. <laughs> Oh my god, okay, okay. You're welcome. (laughs) You are a thousand times welcome. God, it's so fucking funny to me. It just keeps getting funnier. He like growls for a second. (laughs) 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 God bless Goldblum. Seriously, he's the best. Oh, final point. When Michael Crichton was asked why the novel has Jurassic in the title and a T-Rex. And not Cretaceous. He said, never really occurred to me. It just, you know, had the best looking design the T-Rex did. Oh, like, yeah. Well, there's only two dinosaurs from the Jurassic period that are actually in the movie and neither of them are the T-Rex nor the Velociraptor. What are they? They are Brachiosaurus and the Dilophosaurus. Right, that's the Wayne Knight. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's a snake rattle. Everything else came from the Cretaceous period Mm. and yeah, but... That's the only thing that is not factually accurate Yeah, I was trying to think like, is Cretaceous Park... A solid name? No, Jurassic like, Park was it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, because it's got classic. Like I was yeah. trying to think of like of like, but Cretaceous is like creatures, right? I think there would just be a lot of mispronunciation. Probably yeah. like Cretaceous. Yeah, it's much easier to just Jurassic, Jurassic. Park. What a movie it is. Yeah, <laughs> Jurassic. <laughs> you bet your ass. Up it your is. ass. Oh man. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> you can please rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us at oh that's a thing.com and on Facebook and Twitter. 
<laughs> I've deflated you. I'm at It's a Joy Me on Insta and Twitter. And I'm at Jeffrey Eckman. And you guys ne- are awesome. Next week, we're doing the Super Mario Brothers movie, guys. We're really sorry. Yeah, it's not good. Don't watch it, but, yeah, listen, but listen to the to episode. Us. It's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. We watched it so you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. All right. Have an awesome week, love. Bye. Ha <laughs> ha!